You're listening to the Wellness Insider Network, episode number 36. Welcome to the Wellness Insider Network podcast, a place where you discover how to create a balanced, vibrant, and stress-free life with the right food, herbs, and self-care techniques. I'm your host, Lana Camille. I'm a college professor, drug information pharmacist, and an herbalist. Thank you for joining me on this adventure. Let's get the show started. Hello, Wellness Insiders. I hope you're doing very well. A couple of days ago, I read my friend's Facebook post. He saw four ticks in the past two days, and that's more than he has seen in the last 20 years. With the climate change, tick-borne illness is becoming an endemic. If you want to learn about Lyme disease itself and more about strategies for Lyme disease, this episode is for you. My today's guest is Rebecca Snow. A licensed nutritionist and herbalist, Rebecca has a passion for helping individuals get healthy using foods, herbs, and lifestyle changes. In addition to seeing clients, Rebecca teaches workshops and mentors new practitioners. She practiced at Optimal Health Physicians and Integrative Medical Practice in Rockville, Maryland, specializing in chronic infection and disease. She completed an International Lyme and Associated Diseases Society preceptorship and has lectured widely on the topic of Lyme disease and weight loss. Rebecca was the founding director of the master's degree in nutrition and integrative health program at the Maryland University of Integrative Health. Rebecca lectured at many prestigious conferences and institutions on the topics of nutrition and herbs. By the end of this episode, you'll become more knowledgeable about Lyme disease and different acute and chronic strategies for its treatment. Enjoy. Good morning, Rebecca. How are you doing? I'm good, Lana. How are you? I am very good. Thank you. It's great to have you here. I'm so excited you are able to join the show. Today, we're going to talk uh, quite a bit about Lyme disease and a uh, variety of different uh, experiences that you've had with us and treatments. But before we begin, I wanted to share a little bit about your path and how you became an herbalist with our listeners. Could you tell us how it all started? Sure. Yeah, I was, I was a teacher for seventh grade. And while I was teaching, I was dabbling in self-care strategies oils, and I remember I ended up in an herb store and was just fascinated by it so I kept diving deeper I left my teaching career and I started working at Smile Herb Shop in College Park Maryland okay took classes with Claudia Joy Wingo and at the Dreamtime Center which was with Kathleen Meyer and Teresa Boardwine okay um, and I, while I was working at Smile, Tysa, the formerly school formerly known as Ty Sophia launched their herbal master's degree. So I, I went on that journey. And um, now the school's called Maryland University of Integrative Health, MUIH. Um, and at that point, it was an 80-credit master's. I was in the first graduating class. And it incorporated nutrition. So I was able to sit for the nutrition exam for the state to become licensed. and. Um, my first job was with Dr. Fishman in Rockville, and that's how I got into Lyme because 
within a year of starting at his practice, 80% of our clients were, had chronic Lyme disease. So it was trial by fire. It was all, it wasn't a choice of a niche. It just happened. So, but I'm passionate about it because I've been working with people. So, yeah. That's great. That's great. And so part of your practice is uh, Lyme disease or treating Lyme disease patients, but you also do quite a bit with nutrition and you do quite a bit with uh, herbal uh, therapies and you continue working with them. I know that I receive your newsletter and I always love your recipes. So, uh, and you mentioned that the master's degree that you completed was 80 credits, which is quite a bit. So i I remember someone was saying that you can get PhD uh, completing that many credits and that many courses. So um, can you tell us a little bit about how your passion for nutrition for began? Sure. And as I was practicing, when I first started my practice, herbs were the central part of what Mm -hmm. I did. And the longer I practiced, the more I delved into nutrition, nutritional biochemistry, lab testing, um, which weren't things that I was really, I was not trained in, you know, running functional medicine labs in my under, in my master's degree. So I dived more and more. And I think I've, it's interesting as I've evolved over the last 13 years, I think now I, I almost do more nutrition than I do herbs because I think I've found that herbs, well, my teacher, Simon Mills used to say herbs work because the body does. Mm -hmm. And I think the body works if diet, you know, is good. So I think that herbs are only as successful as the fundamentals are in place. Um, And I think diet's one of those fundamentals. So I do, I do probably more nutrition now than I do herbs, but herbs are still such a big part and they're my original passion really. Um, so I, I merge the two and I have I basically half time I train practitioners as a, um, a mentor mm-hmm. and the other half of the time I'm seeing clients and the clients I see some come to me more because I'm an herbalist, but most come to me because I'm a nutritionist. And then they also love the fact that I use herbal medicine. And so we can incorporate that in what we're doing. Yeah. yeah. That's wonderful. So when you are looking at good nutrition, and so I know that this is something that's typically comes easier to some and maybe not as easy to others. And I have attended a number of your workshops, whether it is related to weight management and things of that type. Um, How are you able to reach out to people that struggle with nutrition? What are some of the easy things that you typically, just some of the basics? We don't really need to go very deep into this because I understand this is something that you do in your practice, but... Yeah, basics. Well, I'll tell you a story. I had a client that came to see me for weight loss and, you know, people that come to me are often, they're sick of the dieting realm. They don't want to weigh and measure. They're trying to find ways to strategize and lose weight without it being really burdensome or, 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 um, take a lot of energy. So with this one client, we just decided she's going to eat six cups of vegetables a day. That was her goal. And she was happy with that. Never heard from her again. And then a couple years later, a client came to see me and she said, oh, I was referred by that client you saw. Mm -hmm. And she lost 50 pounds eating six cups of vegetables a day. Wow. And I think, I mean, that's such a simple thing, increasing our vegetables. But, you know, again, herbs are an extension of the diet. So really our vegetables are where 
these secondary plant compounds come from, these antioxidants and other um, awesome vitamins and minerals. And, you know, what it's called the crowd out philosophy. So when you increase vegetables, you're going to automatically decrease other higher caloric foods. Um, and these bioflavonoids in the vegetables, they turn on insulin sensitivity in the cell and they have all these properties in addition to just being good for us and lower calories. So that's a simple thing that probably every person that comes in, I want them to eat more vegetables. <laughs> Do you find that a lot of people are familiar with very few things that they consistently use and reuse and they usually don't explore other things that are perhaps less familiar? Definitely. We can get into ruts. I think that's a lot of the reason why people come to see me is they feel like they're in a food rut. They need inspiration. They need to kind of branch out. Um, I grew up on frozen reheated vegetables, so I didn't like vegetables when I was a kid. And now that I cook, it's like, wow, you know, these massage kale salad tastes amazing. I never thought I would like kale. Um, so I think the vegetables can taste good. Um, and there are, yes, so many to explore. It's really fabulous. Yeah. That's great. It, it's interesting because um, I have an acquaintance who is a paleo nutritionist. And so uh, she says that if your vegetables do not taste very good, you're not putting enough butter or salt on them, which is a, a, a different idea. But I think it's something for us to keep in mind that uh, perhaps spices and various other things that can really make them taste more uh, appealing and also for us to fall in love with things that perhaps we were not exposed to earlier. Yes, there's Rebecca um, Katz, who's a um, cook, chef, that um, she does the Food for Food is Medicine conference. She talks about FAS, F-A-S-S, which is fat, acid, salt, and spice. And those are the four things that you really need in a dish to bring out the full flavor of it. So. Yeah, that's a that's a great, great, great advice. OK, so um, I wanted to, as I mentioned earlier, to talk to you a little bit more about Lyme disease. Yeah. So can you tell us why this is such an important topic today? Yeah, it it's an important topic for a number of reasons. Um, one is that the conventional standard protocols and treatments laid out by the Infectious Disease Society of America may be insufficient to help people. Um, if you look at the studies looking at incidence of the, the percentage of people that go chronic after an initial infection and treatment, it ranges from 15 to 13 or 15 percent in the study. So a percentage of people will get the standard treatment and still have symptoms ongoing. So why is that? I think it's largely to do with our body terrain, which is a concept we herbalists love, um, is supporting the terrain. Um, and there are really two camps still. Uh, there's a spectrum. There's a spectrum of approaches to Lyme. Um, some people don't, some medical practitioners don't acknowledge that chronic Lyme exists, that chronic symptoms after the initial infection um, are at all related to the infection. Um, and then you have other people who acknowledge chronic infection with Lyme um, and all, may overtreat with antibiotics or may use holistic approaches. So it's really challenging for 
individuals who are suffering to navigate this world of so many opinions. Absolutely. So for someone that might be somewhat new to the uh, idea of Lyme disease or have never perhaps not heard, but have not explored it enough. Can you talk to us about like, where do you get Lyme disease? Why there is such a explosion of cases right now? Uh, what are some of the initial symptoms that people see? Yes. So there's some theories as to why there's an explosion of cases. Um, what you, it's a vector borne illness. So it's tick transmitted classically. And um, people used to think it was the deer that were the um, host of the tick, but it's really more mice potentially. Um, you tend to see it in areas where you have clusters of forested, um, li little pockets of forest surrounded by suburban or rural homes, so not in larger forested areas. And that's really has to do with the population boom in the Northeast, because the most endemic area is Maine to, um, I believe, Virginia, and then also Wisconsin and Michigan are, are endemic areas. You do see it in other parts of the country, um, not as commonly, but I think in the other parts of the country, also the practitioners are a little less aware because it's not as common. Um, so it has to do with sprawl and um, and population growth and um, increase. Also, there's lack of uh, predators for some of these uh, hosts. So, mm -hmm. yeah. And so what are some of the symptoms that typically occur at the so, very beginning? Yeah, so the classic would be a bullseye rash, but it's not always, and that would, um, erythromigrans rash, where you have a um, red donut-like circle around the tick bite. Um, symptoms, and this is one of the most challenging parts, is that they call Lyme the great mimicker or imitator because it can show up as many illnesses. But some of the classic symptoms would be joint pain, fatigue, fever, um, uh, muscle aches, weakness. And the, the other challenge is that the tick can transmit Lyme, but can also transmit other infections. So um, the most challenging cases is when the tick transmits more than one infection, the symptoms are going to be more complex and less typical. It's estimated that only 30 to 50% of people get the rash. So um, it can also have an atypical presentation and therefore it wouldn't be picked up um, necessarily. Sometimes there's, um, sometimes there's a fever, sometimes there's not Sometimes neurological symptoms present quickly and sometimes they develop more slowly. That would be like numbness and tingling, um, psychological changes, brain fog, um, things like that. Yeah. Okay. So what is the typical traditional treatment? So typically there's a two-tier testing method, which would include um, a, a more generalized antibody test with a 21 or 28 day course of doxycycline. Um, and some practitioners will treat based on symptoms before the tests come back positive. Some, the, the tests may not come back positive within four weeks of the infection. It takes time for the antibodies to produce in the blood. So a lot of practitioners, if there's a rash and a fever, they're gonna prescribe antibiotics without the positive testing. Um, the challenge with the testing is that 
Um, a positive test, according to CD CDC criteria, require a number of positive bands. But there are some specific Lyme bands that um, are very um, unique to Lyme disease that could be positive, but it may not meet the CDC criteria. So one thing I recommend that people ask for when they get tested is a Western blot with the bands read out so you see all the positive bands or negative bands. Um, because that may not show positive according to CDC criteria, but if you get all the bands read out, you can see if you have a Lyme-specific band. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And so how, where do the herbalists come in with this? Well, in my opinion, because the, the ED, okay, so with acute Lyme, people need antibiotics no matter what. That's my opinion. So I think anyone dealing with acute Lyme, they need to get treatment medically. After the standard course of antibiotics is complete, that's where people, that's where the herbalist steps in. Now, even during treatment for the acute Lyme, the herbalist can help support a robust immune response. Um, so that's one piece. And then after the course is done, somebody might have chronic symptoms. They may need to get uh, further testing. Maybe they haven't been tested for co-infections and they need to rule those out because a lot of the co-infections require different antibiotics than what would be used for Lyme. Mm -hmm. um, now at that point, if, um, if the person's still chronic, they've got a chronic inflammatory state and this is where the herbalist can help support body terrain because there's so many aspects to why somebody doesn't get better or doesn't feel better after treating Lyme. Um, the etiology of Lyme is somewhat complex. There's evidence that chronic symptoms could be related to an infection, to an autoimmune-triggered response, or to just a chronic inflammatory state. So mm -hmm. the herbalist can help to support um, body terrain, support gut health, support proper detoxification because the Lyme organisms release endotoxins that can burden detoxification systems. And also this upregulated inflammatory state herbalists can help support people there too. So there's a lot we can do to improve body terrain. And then there's, so there's really, in my opinion, two arms to supporting people. They're supporting the terrain and getting rid of the organism. Can and you yeah, go ahead. Can you talk a little bit more about supporting the terrain? Like what exactly does that mean? Yes. So when somebody is treating with, let's say they're on a longer course of antibiotics, um, they've been on for six months, but they're really having side effects, major brain fog, joint pain gets worse with the, with the antibiotics. To me, that's a sign that body, uh, the, the biotransformation, of toxins is challenged. So I would be looking at supporting phase two detox with herbs like glutathione, with a milk thistle, which boosts glutathione, or dandelion root, which helps move bile and keep bowel movements going. So I'd be looking at supporting their detoxification systems so that they can tolerate the treatment better. So that's one way I support body terrain. Other things that help there would be binding agents like psyllium or flax or chia seed, which bind to toxins in the gut and help remove them. Also supporting the gut microbiome because 
it's suggested that some of the people that go chronic, that or, or a large percentage of them rather, um, tend to atopic disease or allergic disease. So there could be some um, tendency to um, immune tolerance, impaired immune tolerance for those that are going chronic. So really working on the gut and improving immune tolerance by supporting the gut microbiome with probiotics and prebiotics would be another key thing That's to great. do. Thank you. Yeah. And yeah. so you, um, you, yep, you began talking about the second arm as well. Yes. So the second arm would be, what are we going to do to get rid of the organisms? And people can go a lot of different paths there if there is chronic infection. Um, and so after the standard course of antibiotics, they could get another course of antibiotics. They could reach out to a Lyme literate medical doctor to do even more antibiotics. Um, and or at that point, they can look at some herbal strategies. And so there are a lot of different herbal antimicrobials that we can use. One of my favorites is high-dose garlic. I love okay. the Alamed or Alamax product um, with, with higher potency um, allicin. People can certainly eat raw garlic, but it's stinky, so that can be challenging. I like to work with people based on their budget because some of the really high-potency garlic products are super expensive. Mm-hmm. And so if somebody really doesn't have money for that and they'd rather eat raw garlic, then I just work with people where they are and what they um, can do. I do like to use um, enzymes while I'm doing herbal antimicrobials because there's evidence they could help work on some of the biofilms. There's some, this concept of biofilms that bacteria and protozoa hide um, in these mucopolysaccharide systems and they communicate with each other to evade immune recognition and avoid um, the antimicrobials. So I do like to put something in the protocol that's working on those biofilms. Now, all those food colors we were talking about, the rainbow and vegetables, those flavonoids, they actually interfere with quorum sensing, which is the way that bacteria communicate. So that's again where the diet plays a role of just getting all those vegetables in is helpful in addition to some remedies like Wobenzyme is a favorite or natokinase. Um, and then some other herbal antimicrobials I love, um, bacal skull cap or Chinese skull cap, the root, which is different than our American skull cap. Um, that's a lovely antibacterial and is specific for people with poor immune tolerance, you know, maybe tendency to allergies. Sarsaparilla was a classic that was used by our eclectic physicians back in the 1800s for syphilis, and that's another one that I do like to use. So there's really a slew. There's probably 20 you know, to 30 different antimicrobials that we can pull in, in our mater- from our Materia Medica to help people with that arm of it. Yeah. I, I think it's a, uh, it's a fascinating discussion, but it's also hopefully some people that are listening to this will find it very hopeful and that, that there is so much else that they could be doing in addition to what perhaps they have been taught or perhaps they are not uh, realizing that there is also herbs and there is also, there is also help in eating more vegetables and there is also research that's suggesting that there is more help on the way. Definitely. Yeah. Um, when I was thinking of our conversation, I was thinking, when would you use conventional treatment versus when would you use herbal treatment? But what I am hearing is that the best approach is perhaps the combination of both. 
Yes, I think that people fall on a spectrum of their senses. Like I've had clients who don't respond to herbs, no matter what I give them. And then I have clients who are so responsive. I don't know why that is. I think there's some constitutional variation. I think people have different levels of sensitivity. I don't fully understand that. But when somebody's sitting in my office, I do try and get a sense of what's their past experience with medication. Um, I would say that there are individuals who are hyper-responsive to traditional medicines. Mm -hmm. And um, those people respond very well to herbs. And then I have people who um, are not very responsive to herbs and they might do better. But yes, it is a marriage and there is a spectrum of ways to approach people and people fall in different camps probably as to what's the best path for them. Yeah. That's great. Thank you. So I wanted to ask you a few questions in terms of resources. So when someone is dealing with Lyme disease, are there certain places that you would recommend your clients or patients to explore further? Yeah. So a couple of things I want to mention. One would be um, if you get a tick bite, I think one of the most important things to do is to save the tick. If you remember, I mean, some people don't remember having a tick bite and that's, you know, a little more elusive, but in addition to, you know, doing tick checks and, um, you know, making sure your vitamin D is adequate and all those things we do to support ourselves and prevent Lyme, Saving the tick is important because it's a lot easier to test the tick than it is to test our body once we've been infected. And actually, University of Am- uh, Massachusetts at Amherst has a grant for tick testing, um, and, and that's a great place to send it to find out what organisms the tick has. Um, and Stephen Buner has a lot of great books that are out there for the consumer that can be purchased looking at treating Lyme and co-infections. I do have a good article on my website, rebeccasnow.com, under the Lyme section under education, um, just kind of outlining some of the controversy and and some of the herbs that I do like to use. Um, Those would be some initial reading resources. And also on my website, I have a resource page actually that lists Lyme literate doctors, resources, websites, things like that that people can look at. That's great. Thank you. So, the other question that I had for you is if someone perhaps wanted to uh, become a patient in your practice, do you see people that are only local or do you perhaps see people that live a little bit farther away as well? I work on, I use telehealth. So I will see people locally as well as um, just like we're talking through zoom. I use zoom through my healthy uh, platform, which is a electronic medical record. So I can speak to people all over the country As a licensed nutritionist, there is variation in the laws state by state. So my scope of practice varies based on where my client is. Yeah. That's great. Thank you. We are coming to an end of our conversation, but there are just a couple of more things that I wanted uh, to ask you about. So the first one is going to be, uh, can you tell us just a little bit more, um, give us one more time the name of your website. And you mentioned that you have a mentorship group. Maybe you could talk a little bit about that. Uh, How can someone get in touch with you, perhaps get the newsletter that I enjoy so very much? So that's one question. And then the last one will be, do you have any parting thoughts uh, for this audience? Any additional ideas? Okay, thank you. Yeah, so my website is Rebecca Snow, R-E-B-E-C-C-A, snow.com, S-N-O-W. And... um, 
yeah, through that website, actually, when you go there, it'll prompt you if you want to sign up for the newsletter. So you can do that. And I do run a mentorship program. It's for herbalists and nutritionists looking to get supervised hours, whether it's for the AHG or for becoming a licensed nutritionist. And I do intakes every March and September. It's a 10-month program. And I usually take between 10 and 15 people into the group. And we meet once a month as one-on-one. We have group meetings once a month. I have a private Facebook group where people post client questions and other questions. So um, that's a wonderful resource. And I enjoy doing that. I love helping people get started in their clinical practice. Um, And yeah, additional ideas. So when it comes to Lyme disease in particular, since that's been one of the main themes of our talk is I would say that, you know, the days of kind of handing your health over to a, to a practitioner are over that people, you know, you, we consult practitioners, but in a lot of ways we have to be our own advocate. And I think it's always important to get multiple opinions and to get copies of health records and to, ask questions and make sure you understand, you know, why somebody's recommending something. Um, you know, I've seen people um, with, with Lyme disease go untreated because, you know, um, the, the doctor didn't, you know, run certain tests. I've seen um, people with Lyme disease get overtreated and be on antibiotics for, you know, multiple years and that have all these other repercussions. So, on the spectrum of treatment, I think there's, you know, there is a happy balance, but you have to ask questions and be your advocate and make sure that what you're doing is serving you. So, Thank you so much. There is so much wisdom in your words, and uh, I know that it will be helpful to people that are listening. So thank you so much for being here, for joining me. I really, really appreciate it. Well, thank you for asking me. It's great to be here and talk to you, Lana. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation with Rebecca Snow. You can find all the links in the show notes at wellnessinsidernetwork.com slash 36. When you have a moment, I'd greatly appreciate it if you could share some love by leaving a rating review about the show wherever you download your podcast. This is the best way to help others to learn about the Wellness Insider Network. This episode is proudly brought to you by HerbMentor. HerbMentor is a forum provided by an innovative herbal education company, LearningHerbs.com. Some people use HerbMentor as a personal herbal home study program. Others explore a variety of features it has to offer or utilize it along with other herbal programs or studies. At the same time, there is a large group of people that use HerbMentor's vibrant community to connect with others who are curious about plants and plant medicine. Thank you again for being here. I appreciate you. Be smart, be healthy, be you. Mm -hmm.